0: Right. Welcome to the Tom and Dave show. Uh, I think we're at like episode 7 slash 11 now, depending on what the uh, the part delineation is on our channels. Um, we have a very special guest today, Jacob Niffin. We are talking some thunder, uh, a team that's probably not going to get too much time on a lot of airwaves, but a team that I would recommend watching at least a few games of this year if you're not a fan. Jacob, how are you?
1: I'm doing great, man. How are you guys?
0: fantastic uh we both caught that game last night that they were playing um a lot closer than we were expecting a lot more Lou Dort points than we were expecting uh, i think we both left it feeling a lot better about the team that they've got out there than we went into it
1: yeah definitely you know in game seven of the thunder versus houston series down in the bubble uh yeah. Lou Dort snapped went for 30 points and there's a lot of people uh who who either cover the thunder or are fans of the thunder who thought, did we just see this kid's career high in his first NBA season? Is he ever going to score 30 points again? Yeah. Uh, last night, you know, against the Utah jazz gets up to, to 26 and, and nearly had it again. And, you know, the, the jumper looks a little bit cleaner. Uh, he looks a lot more comfortable going off the bounce and getting to the rim. Uh, The lockdown defense is still there. I I tweeted early on in that game, about three minutes in, I said, you got to imagine Donovan Mitchell just thinking, like, what the hell? Why? Why are you doing this to me three minutes into this game? Uh, Lou Dort had, had an absolutely incredible game. And, you know, it's small sample size. We're only two games into the season. But I'm excited to see if this trend of him being able to still be the lockdown defender he is while adding more to his offensive game if that trend can keep up or if this is just a flash in the pan moment
0: yeah I mean the funny thing also I was texting Dave about it last night or this morning during the game and he was like well maybe you can't bet on a Lou Dort game every uh every night going 30 and I was like well wait a minute why can't you And like <laughs> half kidding but then Dave was like yeah what he was doing on offense actually didn't seem like all of that unsustainable like it was a lot of spot up looks he was looking comfortable driving like there's tools there that he can work with
1: yeah definitely and especially when he gets downhill um you know his biggest asset defensively is just his body the dude is built like an nfl linebacker oh yeah uh, he's learning how to use that body now offensively drive downhill uh, bump people out of the way on the drive. He's got a nice little head fake that for some reason, everybody bites on, which I haven't quite figured that part out yet, but uh, he he did a really good job getting downhill last night. He's, he's added this little Euro step that he's used a few times now, which for a man that big to be that light on his feet, be able to Euro step like defies physics. Oh, yeah. but he's been a, <laughs> he's been a re- revelation. You know, I think a lot of Thunder fans were really excited about him coming into this season got to remember this kid is undrafted right yeah. undrafted started this season last year on a two way got the call up uh, his first three games on being called up with the thunder he had to guard Damian Lillard Donovan Mitchell and then De'Aaron Fox and it's like man this is your welcome to the NBA moment for sure and he he saw that opportunity he seized it and he's never looked back since uh, and it's exciting, especially knowing that the Thunder have, after this season, have this kid locked up for three more years. The most expensive year is $1.8 million. I mean, he's making nothing.
0: It's, it's, It feels like exactly the player you want to be finding at this stage in like the development of what the Thunder are right now. Also just feels like a really easy player to root for, like a guy that kind of came out of nowhere but surprised everybody.
1: Definitely. I, f- I feel like... Lou gets a lot of love around the league just because he's he's easy to root for, right? He's this guy who works his ass off every game. Uh, he defends like crazy. Uh, you can just see out there that he puts it all on the line. I mean, I think NBA fans really became endeared with him during that Rocket series when you just saw him put the absolute clamps on James Harden for oh, yeah. what was it, five straight games, you know? Yeah, he was giving him fits.
2: Yeah, and I think um, that sort of, transitions into one thing I I'd really noticed about this team last night um which was in that starting lineup I feel like along with Dort um now Darius Baisley I'm not like super well versed in so maybe you can help us out on him um but you have four maybe five really really adequate to great NBA defenders um Shy has the like the length um, and the quickness. Dort we were just talking about. George Hill and Horford are, you know, consummate vets who are just not going to make stupid decisions and you know misread things or anything. Um, and that sort of makes me made Tom and I think that maybe this Thunder team actually could end up winning a few more games than anyone everyone's expecting them to. Um, what do you think about that?
1: yeah so i think they're over under the last i checked was like at 21 or 22 and a half games for the season Mm -hmm. uh two games in they're two inches of a Shea layup away from being two and oh right now Mm -hmm. right uh one one win the first one against charlotte which you know i know charlotte's trying to compete but but it's no offense to charlotte fans it's charlotte right like they they don't look good Mm -hmm, um but utah wants to be like a top tier Western conference playoff team that the Thunder just took them, you know, down to the wire last night. Like you mentioned the starting lineup, incredibly competent. Like, I don't know if I'm putting them in like the top half of the league starting lineup, but defensively they're good. They moved the ball well under new coach uh, Mark Dagnall. They, that starting lineup is really, really good. And almost to the detriment of the front office who this off season in the very shortened off season Uh, you know, made, I think, more trades than any other team in an offseason in league history to just completely tear this team down to the studs to start a rebuild, uh, to tank, to get high draft picks, plus the million other draft picks they have from other teams. And as of right now, they don't look like a team that that's going to be a bottom three team in the league. Now, is there moves to be made this season? We'll see you know, they could definitely strip this down even further and really get it down to where it's just a whole bunch of 22 and 23-year-old kids playing basketball. But as of right now, like this team looks like now the bench has some work, right? The bench is like one of the worst benches in the league uh, just because there's so much inexperience there. But this is a team that looks like they're on pace to to already beat their over-under with just the way they compete and the way they play. Again, small sample size, right? They've only played two games. Uh, should be three, but James Harden was too busy at the strip club, so uh, they didn't get to play that first OKC versus Houston game. But it's it, looking like a team that is maybe a little too competent to tank.
0: It is. It's funny. I feel like their starting lineup is good enough to get, like, to get their bench into position to just blow it in a lot of these games. Yeah. <laughs> like, there will be close losses. Definitely. Um,
1: and and I think last night, as far as I think maybe the front office is concerned, last night is maybe about the perfect setup for a game you can have. Your young guys are competing. Uh, they're showing flashes of growth. You're seeing, you know, Shea has, is now averaging like eight assists over the past two games, 24 points, five rebounds. You know, lose going off. Baisley looks incredibly comfortable. So you're seeing your young guys play well. They're competing. It's a close game that you lose at the end, and each loss just betters your lottery odds. Oh, yeah. It's like the perfect storm for a tanking (laughs) team.
0: Yeah, like that's the ideal Thunder game in 2020.
1: It definitely is. It definitely is. You know, like um, last night I, I had tweeted at the end of the game, and I said either, A, we're getting a game winner again, or B, we're bettering the lottery odds by losing. Like, you can't ask for a better outcome than that for a team that, oh, yeah. that wants to bottom out and get a top five pick this year.
0: Yeah, like, I think um, the line Dave and I used in our season preview was, like, there's a world where the Thunder don't completely suck this year just because, like, there's talent here. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. You see Al Horford looking incredibly spry for a guy who last year I feel like we thought was done. Um, you got George Hill coming off, like, as Dave said, consummate vet. They're going to be in a lot of these.
1: Yeah, the, those two vets do look really good. And I think, you know, the the Al Horford situation is setting up to be so much like the Chris Paul situation from last year. He comes in, is seen as an albatross contract that's untradeable. Mm-hmm. He plays for the Thunder for a season, rebuilds his value across the league, and then the offseason uh, gets dealt for an asset. And I think... That is the Thunder's plan moving forth. Al Horford, just take the Chris Paul plan that they had last year, copy and paste, oh, yeah. and, and and run it through again.
0: He's even got that like similar, I feel like, extension of a coach label that I feel like we apply a lot with like Chris Paul and Al Horford. where It's like, oh yeah, he's a smart guy to have out there. He's going to help a lot of these young dudes around. Definitely. Um, but yeah, no, I. It's funny because we were also looking at this team and. They lost. What was it like? Five of their top seven minutes guys from last year. I mean, Gallo's gone, Chris Paul's gone, Schroeder's gone. Like, it's kind of cool seeing a team that's building all that back up, though.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's it's very interesting. As somebody who's covered this team for years now, this is you know by far the biggest turnover. Like you mentioned, Chris Paul, Danilo Gallinari, Stephen Adams, um, Dennis Schroeder. Really, all their their guys that. Were their top rebounders, their top assisters, their top scorers, their top uh, minute getters, besides Shea Gilgis Alexander, all gone, and so it kind of forces some of those young guys to step up. And the coach and the GM said as much in their preseason media availability that not only are these kids getting an opportunity to take on an extended role on the court, but now they're also getting the opportunity to step up and be leaders, right? Dude. Where even though if you think like Shea or Basley or whoever can be a good leader, when you have Chris Paul around, who in my opinion is the one of the best leaders in maybe NBA history, it, there, there's not a void there to fill, right? Chris is going to be the leader and everyone defaults to Chris. But now that's, that he's gone, it creates that vacuum where other guys have to step in. I think guys like George Hill have stepped up, Al Horford. But you hear a lot about the leadership of Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who... Chris took under his wing last year and really molded him uh, not only on court, but off court as well on, on how to be a man, how to be an NBA player, how to be a professional and how to be a leader. And I, I think you're going to start to see those dividends uh, pay off this season as your, your third year point guard is now kind of becoming not only the face of the franchise, as far as points, rebounds, assists, and the, the statistics and the counting stats, but as the guy that, that rallies the team, as the guy people look to, um, which, which is pretty exciting to see. You know, even though they lost all these guys, it's like that culture that exists in Oklahoma City has built up these young guys to assume those roles moving forward.
0: Oh, yeah. It's, it's very exciting to see those young guys getting that kind of opportunity. It's, um, I kind of remember something similar being said about the Miami Dolphins last year, actually, where it was like, all right, they stripped this down to the studs, basically but you're giving a lot of guys opportunity where they might not have gotten it elsewhere. Like, even if it's, I don't know, whether it's Basley, whether it's Shea or even somebody like a, um, like a hammy or a Poku, who's just like, yeah, we'll take a swing, see what we got here. Like these are the shots you can afford to take. I feel like as a team that's got so many assets coming down the, uh, down the pipe later.
1: Yeah. 100%, you know, and, and that, that's another thing you mentioned uh, Poku, Alexei Pokushevsky. you know, youngest player in the league. Uh, currently he he's in the rotation he's playing over guys like Darius Miller Justin Jackson etc uh, which is exciting to see again they they know the state of their team they know what they have coming down in the future and right now it's all about getting young guys reps it's getting them experience and getting them comfortable and so you've seen Poku play like 20 minutes a game you're seeing Uh, point guard Theo Maladone from France getting like 20 minutes a game Mm -hmm. Um, and, and letting those guys get that experience where if, you know, if Poku was on Denver or on Dallas, he's not getting those opportunities to go out there and play 20 minutes a game. He's probably relegated to the G League uh, oh, yeah. Which is essentially what he played over in Europe was G League ball. So letting him get that opportunity to play with the big club over here and get those reps, I think, are only going to to pay off in the coming years. You know, and I don't think Poku's a guy that I expect to do a whole lot in his first season.
0: Yeah,
1: but the minutes he's getting now, you're going to see that start to pay off in year two, year three.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, even you talk about him being so young. Like, I'm a Knicks fan. We had Kevin Knox come in at, like, he was, like, barely 19 when he got drafted. That, like, very young player not getting the opportunity to figure it out as much is a real possibility. So, like, it's good that he's getting those reps now and getting the chance to try and figure it out on the court. Because, like, there are a lot of teams that bring guys like this in and don't understand the trajectory that he might have to take.
1: Exactly. You know, um, I actually – I was on the – a uh, local radio station this morning talking about this. Um, this is going to sound blasphemous, uh, so I hope none of your listeners like come at me with pitchforks and and torches and try to kill me. But Poku, being young, super lengthy, scrawny, with a very interesting skill set that just needs time to develop in the league, really matches what Giannis was, does it not? Mm-hmm. No, Young man. European, long, a little bit scrawny, interesting skill set. I'm not saying Poku's <laughs> going to be Giannis on Kumpo and one back to back MVPs and MVP and Defensive Player of the Year and senior anything like that. I'm just saying that the, the trajectory, the, the starting points really mm-hmm. match up. Um, okay. And interestingly enough, Woj had mentioned on his Giannis podcast special the Thunder were poised to draft Giannis in that draft but they wanted to stash him overseas for another year rather than bring huh. him o- over, and Giannis, is, um, Giannis didn't want to do that. He and his representation said, uh, no, we want to come over to the league now, and so that changed, but you know, the, the Thunder have kind of an eye for this type of player, it seems like.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head. Like It is a very similar profile. Uh, also, I'm glad that we brought a Giannis and Poku same sentence in here because this is the kind of thing. <laughs> going to put out there on social and
1: just <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready man I'm ready bring him on yeah Jacob. Jacob said Poku equals honest <laughs> I'm, I'm ready for it um, I'm on the record
2: <laughs> speaking of Poku and these guys like as someone you know who's very well versed in this team and these young guys who do you think are those other long-term pieces next to SGA that you would think the Thunder are kind of prioritizing their development.
1: For sure. So I, I think uh, Shea is obviously number one. He's the guy that they really want to put the ball in his hands and really experiment with him and see what he can be in the league. Right. Cause right. his first two years in the league, he's been on veteran laden teams where he just kind of existed on the, on the peripherals last year. He scored a lot, but he didn't handle the ball much uh, because he played with two other point guards. So I think they really want to see what, what Shay has, but he's obviously a building block. I think the second building block is probably Darius Baisley. I think the team is very high on Darius Baisley. He's, you know, fascinating story. He skipped out on college, was originally committed to go to Syracuse, uh, skipped out on college to take a, a million dollar internship with new balance Uh, Trained on his own, signed with Clutch Sports, ends up getting drafted by the Thunder and pick 24, I believe it was. Um, So pick 24, comes over, earns himself rotation minutes early on, even though he took a, a, a gap year where he didn't play basketball. And I feel like from the regular season last year to the bubble, we saw Darius Baisley make a jump. We saw him come into the bubble way better than what he was during the regular season. And then so far in these first two games this season, it seems like, again, he's taken a jump from the bubble to now he's the, the prototypical guy that the NBA is building around right now, a six, nine wing slash power forward who can handle the ball, who can dribble pass, drive, shoot, defend kind of this Jack of all trades kind of guy. Um, it's hard to find a good comp for him. Uh, I flirted the other day with the idea of, is Darius Baisley ceiling like uh, a Portland-era Nick Batum, right? A guy that can go out and flirt with a triple-double every night. Uh, he kind of has that same t- style of build, that same defensive profile. So if I had to say there's like a, a second guy after mm-hmm. Shea, it's probably Darius Baisley. After that, you you start to get into – I mean, everybody has has a price, right? I mean, for this team, I think even Shea has a price. Yeah. Uh, will anybody ever reach the the selling point for their team to, to meet what the Thunder would want for Shea? I doubt it. I highly doubt it. But everybody has a price. But I would say those two guys are probably in, like, the the top tier. And then next tier down, you're looking at your Lou Dortz, uh, your Teo Maladon's, uh, your Alexei Pokashevsky's. Uh, the, those two younger ones, Teo and Poku, primarily because you don't know what you have in those guys yet. They're so young. Um, you know, you don't know what they could be. They're they're just pure potential at this point. And so you don't want to, especially as a rebuilding team, you don't want to sell off on potential. Uh, but then after that, I think everyone else is is pretty much free game. They're not the long-term plans. Even a guy like Hamadou Diallo, I know that the team likes Hami as far as his work ethic, his drive, um, his mindset. But if a deal comes along where they have to throw Hamadou Diallo in for salary filler uh, or throw Hamadou Diallo in to get the extra asset, I don't think they're going to think twice about anything like that. I think almost everybody on this team is pretty expendable um, except for probably uh, Shea being number one, Baisley being number two, and then that second tier being Lou, Teo, and Poku.
2: That makes sense. Um, yeah, I can relate to the thing about Diallo. I'm a Heat fan, um, and I feel like the Heat always have these like last couple of years. We have always had these like 14th, 15th men who you'll always see these pressers with Spolster, where they talk about how they're such a hard worker, they're a great practice player, um, but we end up shipping them off, or they don't end up making the rotation, or they get to the G League or something. Um, but Yeah, I think um, Baisley was really interesting last night. I feel like he, I think he hit a couple threes. Um, He had this one really nice block down the stretch. I think it was in the fourth quarter where he, it was kind of a chase down, but not really because he just kind of used his insane length to like go from like the free throw line to blocking the layup. I forget who it was. It might've been Clarkson. He was blocking. Um, I can see the Batum. Um, comps there um, with this team you know we're talking so much about the young guys um, and we've talked about like Horford and uh, George Hill what they bring do you think those guys I know you you said you could see the Chris Paul path for Horford this year But do you think those guys are definitely staying the year in OKC or could could we see them being flipped for more assets
1: Yes. So, so on the Horford front, again, um, just his contract is difficult to move because it's so large. Um, I've, I've already kind of been looking into like what teams could use an Al Horford type player. uh, And it's just hard to make salaries work. The, the smoothest move for Al Horford is simply just sending him back to Boston in that traded player exception they got for Gordon Mm -hmm. Hayward. Uh, That fits perfectly. And then the Thunder take an asset and, and are on their way. Uh, shave off all that money off their cap. I think Horford is going to end up being one of those guys that goes into next summer and gets traded around the draft. That would be my assumption. I think there's gotta be some, some suitors for George Hill though. And I, I do not expect George Hill to be on this team for the remainder of the season. Um, one interesting one that's already come up is with the injury to Spencer Dinwoody. Uh, can you sure. send George Hill to to the Brooklyn Nets? Uh, he, as far as a role player, a spot up three point shooter, a, a defender, he slides in there damn near perfectly. And so, you know, are are the Knicks or sorry the, the Nets a candidate for um, for George Hill? A, a team like the Clippers could use a guy like George Hill. Although, although the Thunder already own all the Clippers' future assets, anyways, <laughs> so I don't know what they would give Oklahoma City for him. Um, I, I I would see George Hill getting moved this season, um, maybe sooner rather than later. And then one guy that I think the league just kind of forgets about because he's been, he just hasn't been seen in a while or Trevor Ariza is on this Mm. roster. Uh, you know, he, he's, he didn't come to camp. He's, uh, it's basically an Andre Iguodala with Memphis situation Mm. where he's just waiting to get traded, but can the Thunder ship him off somewhere and get a, you know, a second round pick, uh, whatever for him, you know, uh, so I definitely think there's still some moves to be made. Hell, I mean, even Mike Muscala has looked incredibly good in the preseason and the, the two early regular season games of this year. Is he a guy that you can ship off and you know possibly get a light asset for in return? Just because we're in the season now doesn't mean that this center team still isn't looking at, and and in asset collection mode. I think they are still at that point. They're looking to collect as many draft picks as possible. They're not going to stop until they have all picks, number one through 60 in a draft. I'm, I'm convinced of it. Uh, they, they just want the lottery, the draft lottery, just to be 14 names of Oklahoma <laughs> over and over and over again. Um, but, yeah, so I, I definitely think Hill could be gone this season uh, before the trade deadline. I think Horford probably goes into next summer. And then I think you can see guys like Muscala and, and Ariza getting moved as well. Huh.
0: It's funny you mentioned George Hill. I feel like we talked about um, Darius Bazley being kind of like one of those players the NBA is building around. Like George Hill has a skill set that I feel like a lot of contenders could talk themselves into too. Just like you look at teams like uh, like the Clippers relying on Reggie Jackson minutes, the Heat uh, not really starting a pure point guard most of their games, or at least in their two or three games they've played so far. Like there are teams that could use George Hill minutes on their squad.
1: Yeah, definitely. You know, he's absolutely knocked down shooter. Uh, great defensive player, great locker room guy. I mean, he he was one of the leaders on that that Milwaukee Bucks team last year, especially whenever yep. they decided to boycott that game. You know, he was the one that was kind of outspoken and and standing up for that. He's a consummate professional. Everything he's said since he's been in Oklahoma City, I think he's already winning over some Oklahoma City Thunder fans just because he's, you know, we compete to win. We want to win for these fans. He, he says all the right stuff. Just Just a consummate professional. Uh, yeah, I, I think he is. And later in his career, I think he is one of these guys, that 100%. You hit the nail on the head. This is one of the guys that contending teams want on their roster, hmm. and he's got a really tradable salary. He's only making 9.5 million, right? So it's it's really easy for other teams to match that. He's non-guaranteed next year. I think he's only promised like two million next year uh, if you waive him by uh, maybe by the draft or something like that. So. He's, uh, he's definitely a, a, a player that I think contenders are going to start calling Oklahoma City on.
2: Um, so yeah, we've talked a lot about the like the asset collection mode that the Thunder have sort of transitioned in, into um, just kind of curious on your thoughts as like a, a Thunder fan as we you kind of enter this new phase of the team. Um, do you want to, you know, be the process Sixers or do you want to do this like kind of sort of asset collection where you're still competitive? Um, Like what are, what, what do you want to see as a fan?
1: That's a great question. You know, I, I think a lot of people have originally looked at this Thunder rebuild kind of like the process Sixers. The difference though is, I mean, the process Sixers were, you know, starting guys that shouldn't have never been in the league. Where the Thunder are starting Shea Gilgis Alexander and yeah. Darius Basley and Lou Dort. You know, they already have this nice base. To me, it's more comparable to the Boston rebuild whenever they traded all their vets to Brooklyn, uh, got all the assets, but then we're still a little competitive. Uh, that's kind of how, how I see this rebuild taking shape. Albeit, the Thunder have all these draft picks, they have picks from Houston, which those picks are starting to look pretty nice, those future Houston picks. They have picks from the Clippers. They have picks from Miami. They have picks from Philadelphia. They have picks from all over the place. The thunder can't control where those picks are going to land, right? That that's in those teams ballpark. The only picks the thunder can control are their own. And the best way to control your own pick and to get the best pick is to lose. So, I don't think they want to stay competitive in the sense that they're they're pushing for the playoffs, or they're pushing for that play-in tournament, because I mean, how many teams have we seen that perpetually live in that drafting six, seven, eight, nine, and have stayed in basketball mediocrity for forever? You know, the Sacramento Kings up until this year, the Phoenix Suns, um, you know, the Thunder don't want to be that. So I think their best path forward. Have these young, promising guys, but besides that, just bottom out. Like, be bad, collect a, a, a top five pick this year in this loaded 2021 class. I mean, this this tank might only last two years if, if they're lucky, right? If the Thunder can luck out and get, like, pick number one this year and draft a Cade Cunningham, and then the Thunder actually have possibly three first-round picks coming their way in 2021, uh, they have the the best two out of their own Houston's and Miami's, it's looking that like it's going to be Oklahoma City's and Houston's picks that they'll get there. They also get the Golden State pick if it falls between 21 and 30. Uh, not banking on that one right now, seeing how Golden State's played. Yeah. But let's say Houston trades James Harden and ends up getting the number 10 pick in the draft, and the Thunder get the number three pick in the draft. You have two top 10 picks in 2021 plus a million other picks, what does it cost to move up to number one? Oh, yeah. Does it cost pick three plus five picks? Okay, the Thunder still have 20 left over after that (laughs) point. you know? What does it cost to move up from 10 to five? Does it cost 10 Alexey Pokashevsky and two other picks? Yeah. Okay, you'll trade that for an Evan Mobley or a Jalen Suggs, you know? And so – the thunder have built themselves up to where if they can just bottom themselves out and get a top five pick in like the next two years, all the other assets they have, they can go out and get whatever they want. And I yeah. don't think they're going to trade those assets for an established player. Thunder fans are obsessed with the name Bradley bill, not going to happen. They don't want a guy that's in his late twenties. They don't want a guy that's not on a team friendly contract. That's not team controlled. They're going to trade these picks for better picks. Uh, If you remember Sam Presti, in back-to-back-to-back years, drafted Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, James Harden. I don't think he's going to repeat that and draft three Hall of Famers in back-to-back years, (laughs) although if he does, God bless that man. Um, But this is the way they're going to build. They're going to make draft picks. They're going to make advantageous trades, and they're going to look to bottom out so their own picks are as valuable as they can be and try to jumpstart this rebuild with a couple of blue chip prospects in the 2021 and 2022 draft classes.
0: It's interesting. I feel like you mentioned it a little bit there, but like the Thunder can effectively look at like whatever picks or players are out there and say, name your price to just about any team with as that, far as like draft picks go. Cause they have the picks to match it most. of the Definitely.
1: Time. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, I, we've talked about this in our podcast, like, Again, if you get pick number three, how much does it cost to get to number one? Do you want six picks? Do you want seven? Do you want eight? You know, there is a price. It's just, is the Thunder willing to pay it? You know, what do they perceive as the difference between Kay Cunningham and uh, Jonathan Kaminga? You know, is the jump there big enough for them to cash in those picks? And it's also an interesting aspect on. These future draft picks that they have are almost like stocks, right? Yeah. You have to know when to keep them and when to sell them. When, when is it at its highest value? Um, those Houston picks look really, really good right now because it looks like Houston's going to crumble and fall apart. Are those Houston picks at their most valuable right now? Are they at their most valuable right after James Harden gets traded? Are they at their most valuable on draft night? And yeah. so that that's a position that I do not envy for Sam Presti to have to figure out at yeah. what point are these assets at their highest value point? Uh, but I do not doubt for a second that he will capitalize when they are uh, and make those moves to move up in, in drafts and get the guys that he wants.
0: Yeah, I mean, even I think the, um, the case we actually compared it to on our season preview was like they're going to have enough picks to be in that like mid 2010s Boston situation where it's like anytime player X is available the list of teams that could hypothetically trade. It's like this team, this team. Oh, and yeah, the thunder have like enough assets where they could get into the conversation.
1: Definitely. It's
0: it's just a matter of choosing what they want to spend them on. Really?
1: Exactly. And and for a small market team, like the thunder, I think if they were to trade for like an existing player, Mm -hmm. they're looking at guys that are still on their rookie scale contracts who still have restricted agency, restricted free agency coming up. Um, you know the the best free agent signing the Oklahoma City Thunder have ever made is Nerlens Noel, right? Mm-hmm. They they don't exist in free agency. They don't go out and tr- typically trade uh, for these guys that aren't on team controlled contracts because that's just the life of a small market team. Yeah. You have to build through the draft and you have to build through trades, um, you know, because you're not going out and recruiting these these big name free agents to come play in your city so a guy like Shea right they get him going into his second year when Shea hits restricted free agency you better bet that the Thunder are dropping that that five-year extension on him that way they can keep him for eight or nine years before they even have to start thinking about is he going to leave in free agency that's the way this team is going to build that's the way they always have built Uh, they just now have tons of bullets in the clip to make that type of thing happen,
0: I think it's really important too that you mentioned just like the life of a small market team because I feel like when we talk about these things, like whether it's a, team doing a rebuild or a player getting traded or extensions, I feel like a lot of the time we look at it from like the perspective of somebody that played a bunch of NBA 2K franchise. Mm-hmm. And think, All right, yeah, you know what, like we got it. We traded for a young player. We're going to, you know, sign some dudes in free agency. We're going to have a starting lineup that makes the playoffs next year. And there's just different realities and some different calculus that goes into building when you're in a smaller market. Um, And so I think with that in mind, like it becomes a lot more important to sort of build through the draft and be comfortable with this taking some time.
1: Totally. I mean, the, the thunder aren't in beach, right? They're not in Los Angeles, the Lakers, you know, God bless them. They sucked for a long time. And then LeBron James said, I want to come to L.A. And everything changes. That's never happening in Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City next summer has a metric crap ton of cap space. Like they're going to be maybe the most cap space team in the league next summer. Mm -hmm. And they're not going to sign any impactful free agents. What they're going to do is they're going to say, hey, you have that player making $30 million. You have Gordon Hayward that's not working out because you decided to pay him $31 million. And he's got three years left on his contract. Trade him to us into our cap space for nothing in return, and give us a couple first round picks for the trouble. You oh, know, yeah. you have that Al Horford contract, Philly that you don't <laughs> want. Trade them to Oklahoma City. We'll absorb fifteen into that. Give us a first round pick for the, for our troubles. This is prototypical what what small market franchises do. The you know the cap space for the Thunder is a tool to collect more assets and to collect the junk that other people don't want and get paid for it, not to actually like go out and get free agents. And again, that's just the life of a small market team, but I feel like the Thunder have maybe the best GM for a small market team that they could possibly ask for.
0: Yeah. And like, to be fair, also, like I said it before, I root for the Knicks, like playing that sort of, we have cap space and we're going to be in contention for free agents game, kind of a crapshoot a lot of the time, like, there's a chance you wind up with nobody, so like if you have all these picks and you say we're gonna stay in the draft, we're gonna get the players that we actually want, and we'll have some franchise control on like you're guaranteeing you'll have your guys
1: in the building exactly mm-hmm. no, exactly
2: um earlier, you mentioned something about like kind of looking at uh across the league for trades with guys that are like kind of in that restricted still like you know a couple of years until their restricted free agency comes up in their rookie contracts. Is there anyone in like, particular you think the Thunder could be looking at in that realm?
1: Oh, it's so hard to say. Um, you know, The Thunder have this, they've kind of developed this reputation of a team that takes on former lottery picks that have kind of fallen out of favor and turns them into something. They, they first did it with Ennis Cantor. They then did it with Dion Waiters. Yeah. Um, they then did it with Nerlens Noel. Right? They, they take on these guys that have kind of fallen out of favor. One team that I kind of look at where maybe this becomes a reality the Atlanta Hawks just, you know, went out and signed like 15 people on free agency and pushed all of their young wings kind of farther down the pecking order. Um, you know, so do, do one of those young wings in, in Atlanta possibly become available moving forward, uh, like a Cam Reddish? uh, Deandre Hunter type of player. Um, you know, we've been talking about the Knicks. I I don't know if the Thunder want to trade for a guy that's about to go into restricted free agency, but a Frank Neal Aquina, um, you know, uh, we, we talked about Kevin Knox earlier, a Kevin Knox type of player. Mm -hmm. Um, guys like that, I Mm -hmm. think are, are people that they would look for guys that were top 10 picks that just haven't panned out that the Thunder, still believe in and still want to go out and take a shot on Um, you know last year I flirted around with the idea of like a dragon bender you know Uh, he seemed kind of like a candidate of a a guy that the Thunder might try to target by low and see if you can rebuild the value of that player so I I think guys like that Um, besides that I mean the thing with those players is just like how the Thunder see them every other team in the league sees a a young promising player that is on a team controlled contract moving forward. So it's really hard to pry those guys away from the teams they're currently on, unless you, unless they, number one, they demand a trade or number two um, you know, there, there's just something fundamentally wrong they're either a massive locker room problem uh, like a kevin porter jr up in in cleveland or something like that so it's really hard to get your hands on those types of guys Uh, but the thunder tend to scour the league and try to find those ones that have kind of fallen out of favor and see if they can get them at a reduced price and then rebuild the image
0: no i mean it seems like a smart strategy and even if you want to touch on what we were talking about earlier with just teams not playing those young dudes because they're focused on having to win now like the hawks look like a team that wants to contend right away mm-hmm. so like someone like a reddish or i think harders still getting rotation minutes for them but they've got mm-hmm. young dudes that are kind of gonna be starved for minutes a bit
1: yeah exactly you know and do they do the hawks and this is the thing that i think some people are worried about with the thunder because we saw i mean the process sixers didn't even technically go all the way through with tanking the I don't want to crap on the Hawks, but I'm about to crap on the Hawks. They went out and signed these guys, right? They got a Danilo Gallinari. They got a Bogdan Bogdanovich. Uh, yeah. They got a Rajon Rondo. And where is that going to get them? The sixth seed? The seventh seed? You know, maybe six or seven games in the first round. Whereas if they would have bottomed out, they could have won out and got the Jalen Green or the Jonathan Kamingo or the Evan Mobley. You know, their, their ownership decided we don't want to tank anymore. Yeah. We want to compete now, and that is so. So when you want to compete now, you go out and you sign a bunch of mid-tier free agents, yeah, and and you end up back in mediocrity again. I don't think the Thunder are going to do that. I think the Thunder are fully invested. Their their ownership group is fully invested, um, and those are the types of teams that you can prey on, though. Those teams that say, "We've been here for three or four or five years. We don't like this anymore. Yeah. Go make the playoffs." The, yeah. the Kings are a perfect example of this, right? The Kings have sucked for forever. At some point, that front office is going to say, well, they already have said, go sign free agents and they still suck, but yeah. go get some guys that can get us to the playoffs and the Thunder can say, oh, okay, we'll give you George Hill and Al Horford. All you have to do is hand over Tyrese Halliburton. Yeah. All you have to do is hand over, um, you know, they're not going to hand over De'Aaron Fox, but but somebody of that level, right? Yeah. Um, and, and we can help you make the playoffs. You can be the seventh seed. We don't care. Yeah. We want your young talent because we're fully invested in the long-term outlook.
0: It is funny to be looking at teams and owners being like, yeah, no, we want that first game, like that first round series against the Nuggets or the Nets or just like a team that's going to run us off the court more than likely. Mm-hmm. But like mm. when talk about small markets, like it's understandable sometimes to be that tired.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, in a normal non-COVID year, you, you get at least those two playoff home games, which is yeah. a lot of revenue. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. A lot of owners right now struggling with revenue during this the economic hardships that uh, you know that makes a little bit of sense. And again, I, I feel like the Thunder are primed to prey on those types of teams.
0: Oh, absolutely. Um, I yeah. Think one th- on those Hawk signings is it's always a good sign when like. Dave and I are texting about them when they get announced and it's like, did they sign these guys to trade them or are they, are they really trying to contend? Like it's good to see these signings where you don't exactly know what the motivation was. Yeah,
1: for well,
2: sure. Yeah. I mean, and the big question with the Hawks obviously is the whole like signing multiple people that play the same position as John Collins, um, which yeah, is <laughs>
1: <yeah>. exactly. <laughs> Just a, they have a, a ton of guys that can play that four position and, and, uh, a ton of point guards and guys that can handle the ball. So,
0: yeah, yeah, they yeah, seem. I would say though, sign the same position as your best players have already had. Like, that's yeah. just in building one one <laughs> <laughs>
2: Um, yeah, I think um, you know, it's interesting that um, you kind of brought up the uh, Boston. We both have brought up the Boston example earlier as like, it'll be might be more similar to that Boston kind of rebuild. Um but obviously you know the the main part that has made that Boston rebuild work so well was they they drafted well you know Brown and Tatum took big steps and um that sort of leads me to asking like so we all love we all love Shay um but what do you think he needs to do to kind of get to that next level to be on that like ech- uh, echelon of like young guys that you know people like Tatum people like Brandon Ingram, like that, those future all-star, you know, 23 and under guys.
1: Yeah, for sure. So the good thing about Shea is he's so versatile, right? Last season, he played more minutes at the three than he did at any other position uh, per basketball reference. This season, he's the starting point guard, right? And he has the ball in his hands, every possession. He can play on ball. He can play off ball. I think that makes team building with him so much easier because if you get the number two pick in a 2021 draft, you don't have to say, Oh, Shay's our point guard. So we can't take Kate or Jalen. Like you just go take the best player available. Cause Shay can fit wherever with that being said, I think the the places where Shay can really grow Um, And we've already started to see it a little bit this season. These two games, number one is defensively. He has, you guys have mentioned it. He has the defensive tools, right? He's six, six with a nearly seven foot wingspan. Um, He's super quick. He has the tools to develop into a good defender. He's put on a lot of muscle from last season to this season. Now he's got to put it into practice though, right? It's one thing to have the potential. It's the other thing to, to take that potential and realize it. Um, you know, last year, I feel like Shea took a lot of defensive possessions off. There were games where he was matched up against someone like Russell Westbrook and just got completely bullied, uh, down low. So I think defensively is the first step forward for Shea. After that, we've never really got to see him play a ton with the ball in his hands and be the primary facilitator. Uh, you know, last year they had Chris Paul and Dennis Schroeder to do that whenever he was in uh, Los Angeles with the Clippers, you know, he had other guys to do that because he was a rookie. So this is the first year he's really getting that opportunity. And I think that that's another place where he can grow is how he play makes for others. And I think spending that year with Chris Paul last year is going to be so fundamental for Shea's career. There's already plays that I see him making like in the bubble and now in this regular season where I watch him and I say, he got that from Chris, Mm -hmm. right? Whenever he comes off a screen on the pick and roll, and instead of looking at the man in front of him, he's reading that backline help defense to decide, am I going to the roller or am I kicking this out to the corner? Like that is a read that Chris Paul has taught him. And you can see the wheels turning. I think in three to four years from now, we're going to talk about Shea and say, man, that season with Chris Paul was maybe the most impactful thing he ever had in his career, so playmaking defense and then his off the dribble three, he hasn't made them much so far in these first two games, small sample size, but last year we saw him make a ton of like spot up three, some off the dribble threes. If he can get that off the dribble three really going, uh, he's already started to raise his release point a little bit. He had been releasing from like around his chest or his chin. He's starting to release a little bit higher now. If he could become a knockdown shooter off the dribble, that way people cannot go under the screen on him, that opens up everything else for his game. And I think that's when he starts to get to be a really, really scary type of player. He has all the tools. I think he's a guy that can make multiple all-star appearances in his career. The physical tools, the quickness, the IQ, I think it's all there. It's just a matter of him getting these reps and these opportunities as the guy on the team to really start to put that stuff together. Once he does, though, I think he's really going to be that guy. I actually made a prediction this year that he's going to be a 25-5-5 a five and five guy, which last season there was only five of those in the league. They're all known on a single-name basis, right? Russ, Harden, Giannis, LeBron, and Luka. I think Shea could join that echelon. The difference is those five guys did it for winning teams. Shea's going to do it for a tanking team, right. but I think he can make the jump into that echelon. And if he does, you are talking about a fundamental piece. Maybe he's not the number one guy on a on a finals contending team. Maybe he's the number two guy. But you've got enough draft assets to go get that number one guy. Is that number one guy Kate Cunningham, right? If it is, go get him. Um, but I think Shea defense, passing and his off the dribble three are the three places where if he can really make jumps in those areas, the sky's the limit.
2: Yeah, I can see that. Um, Yeah. Especially defensively, like, you know, we keep bringing it up, but I feel like the tools are there for him to be really, really elite, elite defensive point guard. Um, Maybe he doesn't have like the kind of, you know, center of gravity and like uh, that, like, something like Dort has. Um, but, like, a, a, you know, a team of the future with a a Shea improved defender and a, a Dort next to him um, in the backcourt's got to be, like, probably one of the best defensive backcourts in the league. Um, Definitely. So
1: like, you know, Shea has the build of, like, a, a, De, a DeJounte Murray, who yeah. is an, an elite point guard defender, right? And you see flashes from Shea. Last night, he had a play... He blocked a Boyan Bogdanovich corner three pointer. How often do you see a corner three getting blocked? You know, I mean his his High reaction guard. time, his ability to block shots. Um, he gets hung up on screens, but he has this ability to like get back into the play and block shots. Uh, those long arms. There was a play last night. I think it was Ingles where he just straight up picked his pocket and went down for a dunk because his arms are so long. He just reached around him and poked the ball. He has these tools. Like you said, it's just realizing the potential of that stuff, right? Putting it yeah. into practice and not just in theory. Mm-hmm.
0: I feel like potential is probably a good, um, as we start winding this down, that's probably a good, like center word for this Thunder team. I feel like they have a lot of pieces going forward that are going to look good in a few years. Um, And as you said, they just seem comfortable to be taking the time with it. They seem comfortable kind of sucking for a little bit if that's what needs to happen.
1: Yeah, definitely. You know, I I think for them, their viewpoint is we're getting young guys experienced. We're putting them in opportunities to grow. That was their big theme in, in their preseason and in their discussions with the media was growth, right? Each game, each practice, each loss, each win is a learning opportunity. And we want to take those experiences. We want to build on them. And we want to come back the next day better than we were the day before and keep progressing forwards. And there's, there's growing bumps, you know, growth is not linear. It's, it's up and down, right? It's, it's not perfect and pretty, but as long as, and and I've been preaching this, especially for for the two rookies, I don't care what they look like in December. I care when we get to May, can we look back to December and say, man, these kids made a jump. They got so much better than what they were. That's the goal of this team this season: is to see the progression of these young guys, and then get a really good draft pick.
0: Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's um, that's basically all we had, Dave. Do you have anything else?
2: Um, I, I was, I just had a. You can just talk on him quickly. Just curious about the new coach. What your first impressions of him are? I know he was an assistant there for a while, right?
1: Yeah. So actually. Um, He came from the University of Florida before Billy Donovan came to Oklahoma City. Uh, Sam Presti actually poached him from Florida, from Billy Donovan's staff. He came over as a player development guy, uh, became the head coach of the Thunder's G League affiliate, uh, was the head coach there for three or four years. Uh, Then last year made the jump from the G League up to on the bench with the Thunder. uh, And then this year to the head coach. He's been a guy that they've been grooming for a while now. He's, uh, he's been in the system. He's the kind of guy they like, and they've been prepping him for something like this. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so this is just kind of a natural progression for him. You listen to him talk and he sounds exactly like Sam Presti. He's a little long winded, uses a lot of big words and is very big on culture, uh, growth and development, um, which is, is straight up with, with what this team is all about right now. So far, what we've seen, uh has been pretty impressive, right? They're competing. Uh, the, the ball is moving quite a bit. They're finding the correct shot. Um, that that's, I think one of their main focal points this year is to hell with the counting stats. It doesn't matter if you get one assist or five assists or 10 assists. We want to find the best shot on the court. Uh, I think last night Shea had like three or four hockey assists and like four or five potential assists, but they're making the right basketball plays, right? They, mm-hmm. they look like a team, not like a whole bunch of guys out there looking to get their own. And then defensively, they've been playing really well. So, so far I've been very impressed. Again, small sample size, it's two games and not two of high stake games, right? It's just two, two games for a tanking team. So yeah. what can he really extrapolate? But he's a guy that they've groomed for a long time to assume this position. Um, and they're not paying him a lot. But I think they see – I think the front office sees the coach how they see the players. They want to see growth and development and let him grow into uh, taking on bigger and bigger roles uh, and eventually being the coach of a of, uh, premier playoff team. Um, they see him the same way that they see Poku and, and Teo and Shea, right? You don't have to do it all right now. We just want to see yeah. you grow in the process. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, that's really interesting. I didn't know he had, like, been kind of, like, in the system for so long. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I'm not sure. I don't think I have anything else. Tom, do you have anything else? Uh,
0: no, not really. Uh, Jacob, we want to thank you for taking the time to do this. Um, we said it on one of our earlier episodes. Like, it's it's really nice having people who've kind of been at this for a while, getting a DM on Twitter from one of us and taking the time out of their days to help us out. So, thank you for that. Uh, do you want to take a minute to plug your stuff, tell people where they can find you?
1: Sure. Yeah. I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, anytime you guys DM and ask me to talk basketball, it's hard to say no. So <laughs> uh, I'm a basketball junkie, but yeah, if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Jacob Niffin, uh, and my podcast, it's just a thunder centered podcast. Uh, it's called the uncontested. You can find it anywhere you download podcasts and our Twitter or our podcast is also on Twitter at the underscore uncontested. So if you're interested in listening to, uh, to us gush about Shay and lou for uh for hours on end uh, feel free to check it out
0: all right great thank
2: you so much man hey yeah,
1: thank thanks. you guys appreciate you thanks jacob